Welcome back to the Rob Maynard Show, folks. Uh, Biden's permanent diversity industrial complex? That's right. Today's guest's latest op-ed opens this way, quote, On February 16th, President Joe Biden signed an executive order, and that executive order 14091 was titled Further Advancing Racial Equity and Support for Underserved Communities in the Federal Government. Biden's sweeping order multiplies and muscles up government diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's the DEI acronym. Uh, uh, But our guest, Elaine Donnelly, calls them diversity crats. The diversity industrial complex uh, and makes their power bases virtually permanent, she says. You know, this all-powerful overreach by the executive branch will not likely go unchallenged. As a matter of fact, the Supreme Court is in the decision process right now on a college admissions racial discrimination case that's been brought by an organization representing Asian and white students. And uh, hopefully they'll make a decision that discrimination is no longer allowed, regardless of what skin color is of the person being discriminated against. Uh, But time's not on our side. And much more has to be done and really quick to end this incursion of what I call anti-American values into our government institutions especially our military. You know, I've reported on the Department of Defense uh, DEI issue many times since the current administration began its insertion of these uh, Marxist concepts into our service academies and our accession programs in ROTC uh, about two years ago. So this march through America's most important institution is well underway. And honestly, we're really quite far behind in our efforts to put a stop to it. Recruiting's down. Readiness is down. These are my opinions. Uh, We'll see what our guest has to say. And the department is putting priorities and resources into this effort instead of focusing on its core mission, which is fighting and defeating America's enemies. And that's what it's supposed to be doing. So my guest today is Ms. Elaine Donnelly, president of the Center for Military Readiness. And that's an independent public policy organization that reports on and analyzes military and social issues to help us understand what needs to be done. Elaine, welcome to the Rob Manus Show. Hi, it's so good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, You know, I did mention it in the intro, but you served on the Dakowitz team uh, under the Reagan administration and later under the H.W. Bush administration. Uh, And uh, as a former commander, I greatly appreciate all the work that you did because when I was in command in combat in 2004 and 2005, uh, all of my personnel were uh, up to speed, met the right standards, and really successfully completed the mission. And the work that you and the other women that that have worked on the issue of women in the military and in combat uh, really was a good result of that. But but hey. you've studied you've studied readiness. For decades now uh, in the military, so I got to start out with the, with this question: Is what do you think is going on with our current state of readiness in the armed forces around the globe these days? Well, readiness is a word that encompasses a lot of different things. Recruiting is part of it. Retention, uh, how prepared our troops to to leave to be deployed on short notice. All of those things relate to morale, discipline, and certainly trust. The administration, though, in in this administration, and and I would say in the Obama years as well, uh, there's been a shift in priorities. 
away from readiness as the number one priority and instead a, a, a fixation on diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, certainly under President Joe Biden. DEI uh, is it's being imposed on all branches of the service in various ways. It has a mantra. The mantra is diversity is a strategic imperative or in some mm -hmm. cases, an operational imperative. There is not a shred of truth to back that up. Even though diversity is a good thing, we're all for it. Diversity results in many cases, in fact, probably in all cases, uh, at least it should, uh, with recognition of merit and individual, um, individual merit, meritocracy, non-discrimination, then you wind up with a very diverse force. And our armed forces are way ahead of the civilian world in almost every category when it comes to diversity. But what we're seeing now, uh, and you mentioned there's a Supreme Court case that's pending, mm -hmm. and I'll explain that a little bit more. Uh, the administration seems to want to continue uh, the diversity quotas. Now, they never use the word quota. In fact, they deny it. They say, oh, we're for diversity and inclusion and equity, but equity is not the same as equal, equal rights or equal treatment. Equity means equal results for groups, for certain mm -hmm. groups. And when you favor certain groups, you end up excluding others. Now, uh, what the Supreme Court is going to decide, we'll hear the opinions in June. There's a pair of cases, both of them very similar, brought by the same group of students against Harvard and the University of North Carolina. And they're saying that the white and, and um, Asian students were discriminated against in admissions and they proved it. So there was a court hearing back in October. Mm -hmm. well, what does that have to do with the Department of Defense? Well, the Department of Defense was in court for the oral arguments represented by Department of Justice, the Solicitor General. And the Solicitor General said, well, we do have diversity goals. They always use the word goals at the military service academies so that we have certain percentages to represent different racial groups. She admitted it, and that's not the first time, but usually it's denied. Then yeah. she said and implied that the DOD wants to continue that practice. Now, we don't know what the Supreme Court is going to decide. They could ignore that whole argument, or mm -hmm. they could have a carve out for the Department of Defense. In other words, civilian schools cannot discriminate but the DOD can, that would really be a bad decision. I don't think that will happen, but it could, you never know. In the meantime, the Department of Defense is one of all branches of the government. The administration has issued this executive order, uh, which is, I think, an attempt to get ahead of the Supreme Court. Uh, they are setting up a bureaucracy uh, devoted to promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion, numbers, percentages, group rights, how do we know it's about groups? Because when you look at the definition of equity, you see every minority group you can think of. It's like a paragraph long. But guess who's excluded? White, male, reasonably well-off, English-speaking, Christian. If you're in any of those categories, you're excluded. But there's supposed to be equity action teams reporting to the White House, Susan Rice, except it'll be someone other than her now. And uh, once this bureaucracy gets set up and they report directly to the White House, all branches of the government, all agencies of the government, once that gets set up, who's going to get rid of it? Then it becomes politically impossible to get rid of. And having yeah. been a member of the Dakowitz, what did the Dakowitz do? 
they were always, for want of a better word, nagging, saying, well, why don't you have more women here? Why don't you have more yeah. women there? Um, I was not uh, into that mode uh, as, a, as an active member of Dakowitz. I did a lot, a lot of things, I think, that were helpful to military women, but they were always pushing quotas even back then. So now we're going to have a, a diversity industrial complex, as we call it, uh, at a very high level, reporting to the White House. And there's an enforcement mechanism, the chief diversity officers. Have you ever had an experience with a chief diversity officer? I have not, but I read that in your analysis. Uh, who are these people? Well, they, they were actually, uh, the first time we saw that phrase was in 2011 when something came out called the Military Leadership Diversity Commission, MLDC. The chief diversity officers, as mentioned in that report back in 2011, they review promotions. And if you don't support the diversity agenda, you're not going to get promoted. You will be rewarded wow. if you do, of course. It's always there. It's implied. Um, but the chief diversity officers, it's like a small army of enforcers, sort of like the political officers that you saw in the movie um, about the submarine. Um, what was it called? Um, Hunt, Hunt for Red, Red October. I mean, yes, the, the, the Soviet ar the Soviet Army had a political officer yes, political uh, officer. In, in every unit, all the way down to the platoon level. Right. Uh, and uh, and you had to really pay attention to what you were think even thinking because that's they right. would find out and report you. So that's what this is. That's what it sounds like. Okay, how it works in actual practice. We don't know not being on the inside, but there's been lots of people saying to the people on the outside that it is pervasive. If you don't support the diversity quotas, that's a career ender. Um, and sometimes compromises are made. Again, diversity is a good thing when it happens with meritocracy being recognized yeah. and non-discrimination. But when you have two people, with one with qualifications greater than the other, but the second person has um, some characteristic that is considered diverse or mm -hmm. underrepresented is the phrase that is used now. Uh, and this, the second person gets the promotion or the admission or whatever over the person who is more qualified. Uh, that's not very good for morale because people become aware of it. They start to question the capabilities of people around them, including their superiors. And it's the kind of thing that if allowed to continue and be institutionalized, it really could weaken uh, the best military in the world. Uh, we like we like the idea of color blindness. People mm -hmm. be treated without uh, reference to superficial, cap cap or excuse me, superficial characteristics such as color. It shouldn't matter. Um, and diversity, more often than not, is the result of that. But when you make everything color conscious and you keep shaking this mantra, diversity is a strategic imperative. And when every department and agency of government has got to have their own equity action team, which reports to their own superiors and then ultimately to the White House, what you've done is change the character of the military. Now, when I was on the presidential commission that studied the issue of women in combat for a full year, uh, we decided how we would decide the issues. And we had a simple statement. Equal opportunity is important, but if there is a conflict between equal opportunity and the needs of the military, the needs of the military come first. Mm -hmm. Now, 
that that also is a is a, a slogan that that we implement with Center for Military Readiness. That it is a foundational principle, and it's based on meritocracy. Um, but in 2011, when that report came out, the priorities got inverted, and it's taken this this many years to get this far. And the Biden administration is determined to to get this in place to set up the bureaucracy so that even if the Supreme Court comes out against uh, racial discrimination in the cases that are pending, mm -hmm. even if they do that, the Department of Defense is going to try to find some way to keep on discriminating. Uh, there's also this little problem. They keep saying, well, every action will be in compliance with applicable law. Oh, that sounds nice. And they also say that all individuals will be treated the same, except right. there's, a, there's a catch. If the entire document, and it's quite long, from the title to the glossary, it's all about groups' rights, not individual rights. So if somebody feels they are discriminated against and they file litigation, just like the students did in the pending, mm -hmm. uh, the argument will be made, well, we're in compliance with uh, relevant law. Well, guess what? There's no such law to mandate meritocracy. And it's it's always been a value in the armed forces. The armed forces yeah. are known for recognizing merit. And this goes back to the years of President Harry Truman when he signed his executive order. But now that you have this color consciousness instead of color blindness, um, everything is up in the air. So we don't know what the Supreme Court will do, but the Constitution says that the Congress has the power and the right to make policy for the military. So there's right. two things they can do, a two-pronged approach. They can cut off the funding of all of these little power bases and the chief diversity officers. Uh, there is legislation pending to do that, sponsored by Representative Chip Roy and I think Senator Rubio, I'm not, don't hold me to that, um, but there's at least one Senate sponsor as well, okay. probably more than that. Uh, that's one thing they need to do. Uh, but we also believe something needs to be done about meritocracy to make it clear that superficial characteristics should not get in the way of recognizing a person and treating them with equality without being held back by superficial characteristics. So how the members of Congress would choose to do that, uh, it's in discussion. We don't know. But something needs to be done because, you know, the military leads the way social change and yes. although the executive order affects all departments and branches of the government if the dod takes the lead in pushing back against the dei ideology and all of its cousin ideas such as critical race theory critical race theory crt uh, teaches a very controversial philosophy it yeah. teaches a division between the races between so-called oppressors and the oppressed. That's right. It's being used in the military. It's being used at the military service academies. It is corollary to the idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's so controversial. I mean, how can you be in a class where everybody is divided into groups? And one group is said, you, you are a white supremacist. You are, because of your skin color, you are... Um, you have a history of oppression of the other group over here. And then the same group of people is supposed to go out and prepare to be, uh, you, know, you know, prepare to fight or de deter a war. I mean, it, yeah. it, it is inherently divisive. 
And yet when you see the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, defending critical race theory being taught at West Point, and he really misconstrued what it's all about. I was surprised he seemed so ill-informed. Uh, and many of the people pushing CRT books on, on um, the military and anti-extremism training, mm -hmm. that's another subgroup of this whole philosophy. I don't think they even realize what they're talking about or what they're doing and how corrosive it is. Now, Billy was almost, uh, I, I remember watching that, that yeah. specific clip uh, and thinking he, he, it's, it's like he, he was talking about, well, you know, we teach communism or Marxism and other ideologies in these courses like yeah. political science and those kind of things. But uh, that's not what the issue is. No, it's uh, not. Not and we, we do need to know about communism, yes. about Marxism. We need to know where did the roots of CRT come from? Why are we seeing mm -hmm. racial groups being pitted against each other? Uh, right. There are answers to those questions. And yes, the roots are in Marxist theory, but it's the kind of thing, uh, it used to be class struggle, that the original Marxism was about a mm -hmm. class struggle. Now it's about the perception, and I don't think reality, but the manufactured perception of conflict between racial groups. And mm -hmm. that is so deeply corrosive. How do you, if you're told you're white, therefore you're a white supremacist and you can't be anti-racist unless you denounce your own skin color. What are you supposed to do with that? There's no way you can reconcile that. Uh, that philosophy is just inherently divisive. And, and when you when you read Ibrahim Kendi's uh, writings, uh, which is one of the authors being pushed on the service academies, uh, and I believe in ROTC too, uh, he actually says that that white people are inherently racist. They can't overcome that. Uh, right. I'm paraphrasing now, but that's his his one of his core philosophies. And you know, you, you talked about our core values in the military of uh, of merit and uh, non discrimination uh color blindness that's that's what i grew up in i spent right. from the age 17 to almost 50 in the u.s air force and and that that's what how you make a team you can be a team with those values but with these values you can't be a team right. and it takes teamwork to win in combat that's right and it's wonderful to work in a team that is diverse but if you start yeah. to have doubts that somebody got there and is in a position for which they're not fully qualified that's when you start to have problems. I'm going to show you this. This is a booklet that uh, one of three that we analyzed. What is anti-racism? And it's written with Calissa Wing. Until recently, she was in charge of diversity, equity, and inclusion in all of the Department of Defense schools. Yeah. For all the kids, 67 some thousand kids worldwide. And because of the controversy about booklets like that, that is is. I would call it entry-level critical race theory for kids. It's written at a, a child's level, but it's very adult in the ideology. It has a lot of peculiar things about it. it. It does talk about racial groups. It discusses the Holocaust and doesn't even mention Jewish people. How can you do that? I mean, it's a very peculiar philosophy that is being conveyed through these booklets. They are being used in Department of Defense schools. Uh, that has been documented by another organization. And when you see that, even though she was removed from her position and her position was even abolished, what they've decided to do is put all the DEI training it, L, F, well, everywhere. 
in, in at various levels. So it's even going to be harder for parents to identify and remove if they don't like it in the schools. Uh, there is legislation, parents' rights, that uh, Representative Elise Stefanik has offered uh, that will help parents when they recognize the hallmarks of critical race theory being taught mm -hmm. to their kids, or much worse, um, the transgender philosophy is starting to come in. Uh, the drag queen story hours are becoming endemic in the Pentagon, not just the Pentagon, they have um, their LGBT Pride Month days, but at bases around the world, uh, yeah. Langley, um, uh, well, various. Uh, Ramstein, uh, Nellis Air Force Base, Ramstein yeah. Air Base in Germany. For Nellis. Um, yeah, they've been in the forefront. I suspect we're going to see more of these LGBT events, not just for adults, but for children. When you have drag queen story hour and you sexualize mm -hmm. the children and expose them to that, and the parents, because you're in the military, you really don't have even as much say as you do when you can go down to the local school board and right. play at the school board or run for the school board. When it's run by the Department of Defense, it's a whole different problem. So this is all part of it. Anyone who says, oh, woke military, what is that? We don't even know what it is. Well, there are so many examples. If you uh, look at many of the articles on my webpage, uh, you'll see just how endemic it is. Uh, the new transgender policy, we did analyze that recently. It goes beyond what was there under Barack Obama. It's much more. Yes. And uh, it, it involves things like uh, allowing cross-dressing on base as well as off base for what is called um, uh, REI. Uh, where you go off and, and decide whether or not you want to transition or not, a real life experience. And the way they've, they've done it now, of course, doctors and nurses and chaplains, anybody who disagrees, there's no option to disagree. Everything has to go only in one direction. If somebody has this issue, and it is an issue, it's a problem, a serious one, gender yeah. dysphoria, confusion about sexuality, uh, people who have that problem deserve competent medical care and compassion. Certainly. I agree. But the way it's set up, anyone who, who has this issue, this confusion, they're sent right away only in one direction. In essence, they don't get a second opinion. And the remedies that are being offered, hormone treatments, irreversible surgeries, mm -hmm. uh, Department of Defense has taken on the burden of doing these things. And the people involved, the patients, the people who need the help the most, they're really not being helped. And it, uh, it's very costly in terms of the medical procedures, the time off, the travel costs that are involved. Um, it was very real under the Obama administration, but that was just toward the end. Now under the Biden administration, uh, Congress needs to find out exactly how big the issue is, how many cases are there, what is it costing, all of those kinds of things. Uh, but just in the just in the cost of time, doesn't it take several years to to do these transitions? It does take a long time. Uh, yeah. Real life experience, <clears throat> the time off that I mentioned, RLE can last as long as a year. And then when treatments start, um, absences are not unusual. Travel to another place, not unusual. Um, in fact, the Trump administration, when they asked for the data, found that the number of medical visits for psychological care increased 
I think it was 300%. And mm. some cases, the treatments involved people being taken out of their normal military jobs, and it affected everybody else. It, yep. it caused some disruption. <laughs> disruption. I suspect it is now, but you may wonder, well, why are we not hearing about this? Why are we not hearing about women having to share quarters, uh, private quarters that are intended for women only with men, biological men? Why are we not hearing about it? Well, if you look at the Department of Defense regulations, it says that complaints about those issues will not be made public because they are considered personal and private. Personal, yeah. Very convenient. And when um, James, Mattis, James Mattis came in as Secretary of Defense under Donald Trump, when he found out about this policy, he was flabbergasted. He said, what do you mean you can't discuss what's going on? You know, And of course, Donald Trump did pass a, a policy that was nuanced. Yeah. It was not a ban on transgenders in the military. It dealt with gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. uh, but this peculiar um, prohibition against public discussion of any problems, it does make you wonder, you know, what is happening? Uh, do we have any men trying to get onto the women's athletic teams at right. or the service academies? We haven't heard that yet. Uh, maybe that is going on. Maybe it isn't. Or maybe it'll, it's still in the future. I don't know. Uh, but this is not conducive to, um, uh, well, having a strong military, everything that comes with athletic teams, morale, teamwork, all of those things. If you start doing in the military what we're seeing in many civilian programs, that's not good. Yeah, and you know, uh, uh, a few months ago, an anonymous soldier sent me the U.S. Army training slides that's given to commanders and sergeant majors and first sergeants uh, in the U.S. Army. They were dated from August of last year. Uh, about this issue of pronouns and transgenderism yeah. and all that. And the number one thing that jumped out at me, Elaine, was that unit commanders are personally responsible for making sure that people are treated respectfully. And, and, and that's okay. I, I get that part. I'm used to hearing that. But when you overlay it on the context of these slide, these training slides that I saw, where it talks about men being able to just go into the computer system and change their gender identity with, with no surgery, no changes whatsoever. And from that point on, commanders and senior enlisted leaders are forced, forced, ordered to treat them as the identity gender, the gender identity that they've put into the computer system. And that means they are bunking uh, with women, the men that are going to women, transitioning to women, they are bunking with women or with shower. no changes in their body. They're showering with them. They're probably uh, in the uh, in the athletics. Uh, you know they are with the troops. You know, anytime the troops are doing physical fitness, they always do team-type sports every once in a while. So you know they're doing that. And we always try to separate the men and the women because of the differences in their bodies. You don't want anybody to get, to get injured uh, and taken out of being mission-ready. Uh, due to things like that. So uh, it's just really concerning uh, when these slides, and then just a few weeks ago, I saw the Sergeant Major of the Army, I believe it was, uh, deny that issues with these policies exist. Right. That they're creating issues uh, with recruiting, retention, and housing, and all of those things. And, and I find that just unbelievable. 
and, and really disappointing that the that these senior leaders, uh, officers and enlisted, uh, have really drank. They've drank the Kool-Aid. Right. right. Well, when you insist that people change their use of pronouns and use uh, pronouns that are Mm-hmm. Should we say grammatically incorrect? Okay, when we have to say they, referring to a single person, it's, it really is ridiculous and confusing, and it, it could be an operational problem in the middle of a war. Um, yeah. That is not personal and private. That is expecting everyone to subscribe to a belief that they know is unscientific, cannot be backed by biological science. In fact, it defies biological science. And, and that in itself is demoralizing uh, to expect everyone to do that, including doctors and nurses and, and uh, uh, superior officers. The, the, the one of the vignettes, and I know the slide set that you're talking about, um, that's most amusing when it talks about, well, the women are uncomfortable because there's a biological male who wants to share their private mm-hmm. abilities. And uh, what is the, the commander supposed to do? Well, the commander is supposed to, as you said, make everybody happy, but that's a trick question. Because if you allow separation for the women or woman who feels uncomfortable, then you could be accused of being anti the transgender person. That's right. Hey, you're dead. So it's 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 an irresolvable problem or dilemma created by the military itself, and it's not the only institution. But we shouldn't certainly shouldn't be doing this in the military. Uh, as for the physical fitness. Yes, men and women do a lot of physical fitness training together. But the Army found in the last several years that all the promises about gender neutral standards in training for the combat Mm -hmm. arms, infantry, armor, artillery, special operations forces, they promised it all. And they introduced a new combat fitness test, the ACFT, Army, Army Combat Fitness Test. Right. This went on for three years and we tracked it the whole time. It didn't work because the women were being injured at higher rates and they couldn't keep up and their scores were too low. So they tweaked it and they experimented and they tried different things. And finally they decided it's not going to work. And so we're going to have gender uh, normed standards, even in the combat arms. Mm. At that point, Senator Tom Cotton said, no, you will not. That's where people will get killed. He said right. to the Secretary of the Army, uh, Christine Wormuth, in the hearing. And he's really keeping the pressure on the Army because you can't have it both ways. Uh, in the combat arms, you do have to have uh, standards that are commensurate to the job. And if women can't do the same thing as the men, you can't make it gender neutral without lowering the standard for everybody. That's right. That's right. So, um, I don't know how the army is going to resolve this, but they might try a little bit of truth. Okay. A dose of truth would help here instead of pretending and going along with the fiction that men and women are interchangeable in the combat arms. They're not. Um, the presidential commission on which I served, uh, we, we debated this issue quite a bit. And here's what we came up with. You can have gender normed different standards in basic training, entry level, and pre-commissioning service academies. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Because that's not dedicated to the combat arms. Okay. Fitness and wellness. That's okay. But once you get into the combat arms, the units that attack the enemy, the units with extraordinary physical demands, you cannot have gender norm standards. It has to be one standard. And if it means that, as with Navy SEALs, we've yet to see a female Navy SEAL 
right. they haven't capitulated yet to the DEI crowd, and I hope they don't. Uh, once you start making compromises to meet quotas, that's where you get in trouble. So uh, we've recommended that over and over again, but the Army is under the control of this administration. Civilians make policy for the military. That's right. Uh, I'm a civilian, and, and I maintain that civilian control of the military means that uh, we civilians have something to say about it through the elected representatives. And uh, that's why I formed CMR. It's been 30 years now. Um, it's been a very interesting 30 years, <laughs> time flies. Um, but our, our principles remain the same. And we hope that uh, perhaps under new leadership, the military will get back to the sound principles that have made it the best in the world. It is a resilient institution. So yeah. given better orders, the military will follow better orders and I think get away from some of the extremes where they're headed right now. Uh, what is the definition of woke? It means progressive or leftist policies taken to extremes, imposed with coercion, even if it hurts the institution. Okay, now that's a general definition and it covers a lot of territory, including all this nonsense about let's have plug-in tanks, you know, uh, that's yeah. an exaggeration. Uh, plug-in military vehicles doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, yeah. you know deploying uh, combat zone that doesn't have plugs, okay? That's right. Uh, that's another example of something woke. You take a, a progressive leftist policy, impose it with coercion, no dissent, and you, you, you do that um, even if it hurts the institution. That's what we're seeing. And, and, and that's just so dangerous for it to be the military yeah. to, to go down this path. You know, uh, as you mentioned early on in our discussion, the, the military is the institution that leads the way. Right. You know, uh, on these types of issues uh, and uh, uh, to destroy it as we uh this is my opinion now as we take actions that actually provoke conflict around the world uh whether it's intentional or not our actions are provoking uh conflict around the world and support conflicts around the world get involved in combat around the world uh, while at the same time internally we are destroying the team right. uh, that makes that those missions successful it, right. it blows me away that general officers and admirals and senior enlisted senior NCOs uh, and petty officers are not resigning in droves in protest over this. Well, you know, we used to have these debates with uh, some of my advisors, uh, senior uh, flags and generals retired. And, mm -hmm. and there's always a debate. Is it better to retire or, or to leave in protest or stay mm -hmm. and try to influence the policy? Um, when I was a member of the Dakowitz and the presidential commission, I realized my career was not on the line. I could ask the tough questions, the ones that would make people squirm because I wanted to know the answer. Right. And um, I felt that the principles, if I saw something that didn't look right and I would ask about it, sometimes people would come up, come to me after the meeting and give me the answer because they were afraid of saying it in front of the military press because it might hurt their careers. Now, I never held that against them because they have an investment in their careers, kids in college and all that. Um, that's another reason I formed CMR, because we are independent. We report on and analyze military social issues. We cover everything, all branches of the service um, and all communities, aviation, the ships, um, army, 
you name it. We've been there. We've reported on it. Uh, issues of sexual assault. Is, is, that's another area of concern. Um, certainly, when the military leads the way, it can also lead the way in the right direction that will help the civilian world. I mentioned yeah. that because uh, now that Calissa Wing has gone from the Department of Defense Schools, that's a step in the right direction, but not enough. But if the Congress intervenes and they say to the Pentagon, look, this is what we expect you to do, that will give parents in the civilian world help also. If, if military parents can have more say, civilian parents would have the same thing. If the military ends DEI and all of the power bases and chief diversity officers and all that, if the military is ordered to do that, either by Congress or the next president, although I don't mm -hmm. wait that long, um, that would that would set an example for the rest of society. It goes either way, uh, but that and that's why again, uh, my organization involves people who are both civilian and retired military, uh, because retired military, of course, understand the culture of the armed forces. Mm -hmm. Civilians see that we all depend on the military. It's the only one we have. So that's right. it's up to us to defend sound policy for the armed forces. And, and that's what we try to do at the Center for Military Readiness. Now, have you been in discussions with members of Congress yet uh, oh. about this? And uh, I'm sure you've made some specific recommendations. Well, we provide information all the time. When yeah. I do a policy analysis, similar to like the Heritage Foundation does, mm -hmm. uh, uh, certainly we, we believe uh, the information that we gather is helpful because we're able to check different resources and connect dots and do things in ways that make things a little bit easier. When it comes down to it, though, the members are the ones who ask the questions and they're the ones who decide what they're going to do about it. So I think there is the 118th Congress is much more willing than previous Congresses in recent years to do something about these issues. So I'm, I'm very hopeful. Um, it won't be easy because the president uh, of course, he'll threaten to veto even really good, solid legislation. Mm -hmm. But even if that should happen, it's still worth uh, the members of Congress acting. Even if, even like they just had a vote the other day on uh, women's athletics to protect uh, female right. female athletics. Now, the president has right now, I'm going to veto that and never get past the Senate. It was still worth doing on the House side. Yes. But then it becomes an issue for the next presidential race, because the president can revoke any executive order that Joe Biden signs. But it's even better if Congress says, this is what we expect. These are the findings in which we believe. This is the way that um, it, things could go based on these principles. And then they have to hold uh, the military people's feet to the fire uh, and not necessarily accept or promote an officer who's going in the wrong direction. It's going to take a long time, uh, yeah. but our, our military could be changed irrevocably in a single generation. That's what frightens me about this executive order, because once all of the bureaucracies are in place and uh, and then they start giving grants to outside organizations, that's also mm -hmm. part of it. Uh, they're certainly not going to give grants to organizations like mine. Uh, those grants are going to go to all the, the organizations that don't un understand anything about the armed forces. All they care about is um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and that would only make things worse. 
Yeah, absolutely right, uh, Elaine. The uh, uh, you know the, you mentioned the the Constitution uh, says Congress sets policy on the military. Right. Uh, now, when they do that, uh, some of that's done through the National Defense Authorization Act that they pass. Right. Uh, that's got to be signed by the president. But there is, is there a way for them to set military policy uh, without it being a piece of legislation that can be vetoed by the president? Well, usually things do get incorporated in the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, sometimes there's freestanding legislation, but rarely uh, the personnel subcommittees of both the House and Senate, uh, usually in their draft legislation. That's where these things usually happen. Uh, and then there, if there is a conference committee, in the last couple of years, there was not a conference committee. Uh, right. There were some very bad ideas that were taken out of the, the defense bill, uh, which was uh, fortunate. Uh, talk about drafting our daughters, for instance. That's an issue that we've been yeah. following for years. Um, Senator Reid, for the last three, three rounds or last two, has offered legislation to include women in selective service registration. And this would be very harmful to the military because we know physical differences are such. Mm -hmm. If you call up equal numbers of men and women, and then you try to process them to join the military or to be drafted into the military, what you create is an administrative nightmare because only a small percentage of women would be fully qualified for the combat arms and you don't draft people to be in the Marine band. It's that's right. Combat arms. So it's for on a lot of levels, it's not a good idea. The draft itself would not be a good idea. Um, but we certainly don't want women involved in registration for selective service. It's based on a, a myth that has been disproven many times that in the combat arms, men and women are physical equals. Uh, maybe intellectually, yeah, but not physically. There are differences and they matter and they should be respected. And um, military policy has to be based in reality, not illusions and theories. Yeah, quite often the, you know, the physical differences are the key factors in whether you win or lose in combat. Quite often. You know, I mean, I mean, intellect is, is extremely important, you know, uh, philosophy, you know, leadership uh, techniques, that's all important. Uh, but quite often when you're talking about force on force, uh, it's, uh, it's the physical part of it that, uh, is the tipping point. Right. Uh, and we can't, we can't put our, our, our armed forces into that situation. No, we can't. If we do, we increase dangers for both men and women. It's not just concern about women alone, because yeah. if men have to make up the difference, carrying loads, especially on a long march, um, that women are not capable of carrying, uh, or if standards are lowered, to, and I just saw a document today saying anything that is too heavy for women has to be changed and modified. If it's a heavy lift, then there has to be more handles so that four people would lift instead of two people, things like that. When you start making changes like that, it's part of the cost of doing business in a yeah. gender mixed military. I don't think the Chinese do things that way. Uh, Russians, uh, other potential adversaries do not pursue diversity, equity, and inclusion the way our military is doing. So we risk changing the character of the armed forces, which has always been the best, mm -hmm. if we start substituting other values uh, and treat it like just another civilian equal opportunity employer. Uh, yeah. Risk lives 
to a greater degree, but also mission failure can occur. Uh, if, if we have people chosen based on the color of their skin, uh, the Navy has had some issues as well with uh, too much diversity, but not the kind of meritocracy uh, for people who are in jobs that really matter. Ship handling, yeah. controversial. Uh, aviation, yeah. every community, and I've written about all these things, uh, you've got to have the very best people there. And skin color doesn't matter. It, it can't be. matter. It can't yeah. matter, especially Merit. in ship driving, aviation, yeah. diving. You know, it's got to be the best person. Right. And it, it, maybe it hasn't been necessary for Congress to even say what most of us consider obvious. Uh, but under this administration, keep the way they keep pushing diversity is strategic imperative. Something has to be done. It's getting to a breaking point now. And um, we'll see what happens in this Congress, what will happen after the next uh, set of elections, including the presidential elections. Uh, we're going to we're going to poll the presidential candidates. Uh, mm -hmm. We've done this every four years, except for the last one where they, there wasn't um, a contested race uh, to find out where they stand on these various issues. And it's a two -way educational process. We don't endorse candidates. Uh, but we want every candidate to know what are the, the leading issues in the armed forces and have them think through what side they're on, but also why. What is the basic principle that they support? And right. I think that is a, it's a helpful process. We've done it before, and um, we certainly want every candidate to answer some questions. And you publish those too, don't you? When you do do those yep, yep. those questionnaires, that's good. That because that, that helps get. It's going to happen fairly soon. Sure. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so. yeah, it's it's coming, <laughs> as they say. So, uh, before we wind it up here, uh, this executive order is just absolutely massive. When I read your article that. Uh, a mutual friend sent me, I said, no, no. My initial reaction was there's no way that an executive order could get away with that. Yeah. But I read it and I read your, your, your in-depth analysis uh, and it's massive. It covers every agency. Every it, agency. it puts, so, so it's, 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 uh, it's funding is, is even, I mean, it's beyond what you, might even imagine it is unless you read it and get it go line by line on the budget. Right. I've never seen an executive order that has that much reach and, uh, and resource expenditure where Congress hasn't said, wait a minute, That's you right. aren't authorized to do this. Right. It doesn't actually have dollar amounts in it. It just says, uh, according to budget right. um, capabilities or whatever, it's kind of vague. Yeah. Uh, and this executive order is layered on top of three additional ones that were signed before in the wow. first seven months of the Biden administration. So then I asked the musical question, why now? Well, one answer is they are trying to get ahead of the Supreme Court so that mm -hmm. if the Supreme yeah. Court bans racial discrimination, which they are expected to do, but you don't know for sure, um, they want the Department of Defense, the service academies, and ROTC programs to be able to continue uh, treating people based on the color of their skin. And the, um, the members of the court did not really signal what they will do, but the Solicitor General uh, made it quite clear that uh, she thinks that this is a national security imperative. 
to have racial balance. There is never any documentation brought forward to prove that. Uh, anytime you see a footnote, and I've checked them out on these diversity reports, they'll have a footnote. Uh, diversity makes a stronger organization. But when you look at the footnote, you see a private company that rates other private companies, financial institutions, banks, things like mm. that. And yeah, diversity, as I say, it's a good thing, but there's a big difference between a bank and a financial institution and the armed forces of the United yeah. States. And yet you see the chief of naval operations and uh, chief of staff of the army and all of these officials, diversity, strategic imperative. And they, they really seem to believe this stuff, um, but people under their command, I think it hurts their credibility with people in their, in their chain of command. A vertical cohesion is disrupted by that sort of thing. Yeah, I think some of those folks, when they say that, need to be reminded that on the back of the Purple Heart Decoration, which is a combat decoration, it's the only way you can get it. Uh, it says for military merit, if I, if I, uh, my memory serves me correctly. Right. Well, it's, uh, it's a concept we've been taking for granted for too long. Yeah. Uh, not that it's our fault, but, but people who are saying, no, meritocracy is secondary. We don't care about meritocracy. In fact, meritocracy, that's, that's a sign of, I hate to say it, this is CRT philosophy, I don't buy this. That's a sign of white culture. Yeah. I, I'm offended by claims like that. What you see in books like White Fragility or uh, Ibram Kindi, his books, mm -hmm. that's pure CRT. You see a ch child's version of it in the books I showed you, the booklets uh, for children. To allow that sort of philosophy to stand uh, really undermines all of society, but especially the military. So um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Right. So it's been great to talk with you, and uh, we've got a lot of things to work on in the future, don't we? Yes, we do. Uh, tell folks uh, how they can find the uh, Center for Military Readiness. I've had the uh, cmrlink.org uh, website up the under on the lower third here. The whole show. Uh, where else can they find? out about you and support that's, you guys. That's the main place. Um, okay. We have various issues that, that are categorized there. Um, uh, the feature story is about this um, executive order, but there's also major articles about the transgender policies, the Army combat fitness test, if you're interested in that. Uh, we cover the waterfront. We've got an awful lot of different issues. Just, just go looking around on our website. And um, boy, we never run out of things to... Uh, to write about that's for sure <laughs> unfortunately no but they're yeah. important things uh and again i want to say thank you uh, thank you to your team and god bless them all uh, uh we really appreciate the work you do and uh and uh, i'll get the word out too and uh, i'll push people to oh, go check out one more thing. um we are supported by individual contributions contributions mm -hmm. are tax deductible and we really appreciate it when people help us out uh, we're certainly not funded by the government, <laughs> like the Akowitz <laughs> committee that I used to be on. All of these diversity, equity, action teams and things, they're all funded by the government. And it's a yeah. huge bureaucracy. So um, we're, we're small but very targeted. And we really appreciate it when people say, yeah, I think I'll help CMR uh, with a contribution. And, and that helps a lot. Well, we'll certainly advocate for that. Uh, and again, your work is critically important to the future of this country. And uh, we appreciate y'all. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine. Elaine Donnelly of the Center for Military Readiness. Uh,
decades of experience in military personnel and social uh, policy and its effect on not just readiness, but uh, the culture within the military, uh, its warfighting culture. I've, I've operated in the culture that she has helped create. Uh, and uh, the path that we currently are on, folks, is uh, so dangerous uh, that it, it stands to reason that we must stop it at all costs before uh, it's too late. Uh, the U.S. Armed Forces Institution is the leading institution when it comes to social and cultural issues. Uh, and this ideological issue of critical race theory, uh, transgenderism, which is another form of critical theory, in my opinion, that's, that's uh, gender identity-based instead of race-based, is all intended to divide the military team. And you can't win as a military team. You can't even be a team if different portions of the team are being told that some are the oppressed and some are the oppressor, and none of, none of those characteristics can ever change. It's false, and we need to work to end it. Please support CMR at cmrlink.org. They do take contributions. They're tax deductible. Uh, and uh, God bless you all. God bless these United States and Ms. Donnelly and her work. And don't forget that I'll see you next week. I'm Rob Manus. 